This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode on Press One for Nick. I'm your host, Nick Lemsdahl, Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. On this podcast, I sit down with customer service and customer experience leaders to talk about their stories, best practices, and lessons they've learned along the way. Let's get started. I'm honored today to have Brian Ahern. Brian is the Chief Influence Officer at Influence People, where he specializes in applying the science of influence and persuasion in everyday situations. He's also one of only 20 professionals in the world certified by Robert Cialdini to teach his methodology on influence. Welcome to the podcast, Brian. Thanks for having me, Nick. I'm excited to have a conversation with you. Yeah, me as well. So uh, one thing people might not know about you is that you are a competitive bodybuilder, uh, a marathon runner who's qualified for Boston twice, and a second degree black belt in Taekwondo. Uh, That is one heck of a it's a, it's basically the, the Chuck Norris uh, of, of sports, right? Uh, uh, how do you use persuasion in sports? Well, I don't know early on, like when I was competing in bodybuilding and things, I really didn't know anything about persuasion way back in the day. But what I have learned from sports that ties into persuasion is consistency. And that is, I learned that, um, a good amount of effort over a long period of time always produced results, whether it was going to the gym to get ready for a powerlifting meter, a bodybuilding contest. Uh, you are a distance runner, so you know that it's not any one workout or a meal that makes or breaks fitness. It's the consistency over a long period of time. And it was the same with, you know, pursuing my black belt in, in Taekwondo. It was just setting out a plan and then staying consistent to that plan, not allowing yourself to, to really deviate from that. That's probably the biggest thing I think I learned from sports. Yeah, absolutely. It, you can't just uh, set a goal and, and achieve that goal uh, tomorrow or else your goal isn't, isn't high enough. So doing that and setting those goals over time and, and, and incrementally improving is, is the way to go. So I appreciate we'll, that. We'll say this because you say the word goal. I've always used goals as the reason to do the thing I love with more intensity. The mm-hmm. goal was just to, so I could go to the gym, which I loved, or I got out and run and I loved it or going to Taekwondo. The goal just helped me do the thing I love with more effort and intensity. That's awesome. Uh, so quick transition. So you recently wrote a book called Influence People, which is the people are powerful everyday opportunities to persuade that are lasting and ethical. So the question I have is how do you persuade people in a way that is both lasting, lasting and ethical? Well, let's, we'll start with the ethical. Um, when we talk about ethical influence, there's three things that have to occur. The first is that you have to tell the truth, and and I like to say, and not hide the truth, right? It's not good enough for me to simply tell the truth if I'm holding back something that I know would change your decision making. So we're we're truthful. The second thing that we're uh, doing is we only use the psychology, these principles of influence that I teach. We use them in ways that are natural to the situation. So we don't invoke a a sense of false scarcity if something's not truly scarce. We don't invoke social proof that lots of people are doing something if they're not in fact doing it. We use the psychology that's natural to the situation. And the third thing is we're trying to create a mutually beneficial outcome. I like to say, you know, good for you, good for me, then we're good to go. 
And if we can do all three of those things, be truthful, use the principles that are natural to the situation, and we're creating a win-win situation, we can feel comfortable about the fact that we're operating ethically. Then the other part of it is your, your question is, how do we create lasting change? Yep. Lasting change occurs when you're asking somebody to do something that sometimes changes their self-identity. And for me, a good example was when a friend persuaded me that I could run the Columbus Marathon. Having been a bodybuilder, I didn't like running at all. But once I started running, I came up with my own reasons for why I enjoyed running so much. And once I had done that, once I convinced myself and saw myself as a runner, my friend never had to persuade me again. So sometimes when you interact with somebody, it can touch their core. It can take on a lasting impact because they self-generate their own reasons for why what they're doing is the right thing to do. And then you don't have to get out there and persuade them as much because it'll just take on that lasting impact. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. How are you uh, using this in your, in your personal life? Like what's, what's some stories that you have that you've had the ability to persuade um, uh, you know, a family member or, you know, your, your spouse to do something? You know, well, I mean, every day you're trying to persuade people. It can be as simple as, you know, getting my daughter to empty the dishwasher or asking, you know, my wife to stop it on the, to stop at the store on the way home. I mean, those are all acts of persuasion, right? You are wanting to change that person's behavior. Um, and, and that's how I look at persuasion. Persuasion is not simply changing how somebody thinks or feels about a situation, because if their behavior doesn't follow, then you're no better off. Um, so once you start to realize that, you, almost every conversation, you're trying to get people to do something for you. Yeah. And, and so don't, don't mistake the fact that, you know, you convince somebody to go overseas with you as your, your great persuasion attempt. Most of our attempts at persuading people are the little things that we're doing every single day that make our life run a lot easier. In a competitive market, does your customer service stand out from the crowd? One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, how do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great point. Uh, you know, I don't want to get into a whole lot, but uh, you kind of shared, I, I listened into a, um, an event talk that you did a, a few months ago about uh, finding ways to to persuade your wife to to marry you, and and uh, uh, he went into a whole um, background of of buying a or renting a very expensive car and and meeting his wife in the parking lot. Uh, but uh, maybe give him a, a cliff notes version of that, and then have them uh, reach out to you for the full story. Okay. Well, I basically engage the psychology that we call persuasion. I set the stage to make it a lot easier for her to say yes. And it was important because we had been on again, off again, mostly my fault. And, <laughs> and we weren't going out. And she had even announced to me that she wasn't going to go out with me again if I asked. 
but I was able to convince her on her birthday to allow me to take her to dinner. So what I did on her birthday was I sent a dozen roses to work. She liked that, showed up at her apartment with another dozen roses and a bottle of wine. And then when we got ready to go, I had rented a Silver Cloud Rolls Royce with a chauffeur to take us to a restaurant in downtown Columbus. So we, we uh, went to the top of one of the tallest buildings in the city and had a romantic dinner. And then on the way home in the back of the rolls, I popped the question and she <laughs> said yes. And, and the reason that that's important is because here she was weeks earlier saying she wasn't even gonna go out with me again. Yeah. I'm sure if I in that moment would have said, Jane, I love you, I've made a mistake, will you marry me? She would have said no way. But yeah. by yeah. setting the stage romantically, psychologically, that changed how she felt and it opened the door and you know, we've been married now for 32 years, so it worked out for both of us. <laughs> it was a great success story. Uh, you know, one, one thing that people might not know about Brian also is that uh, he teaches, uh, he's a, a speaker and does the, the LinkedIn learning courses. Um, and one of the topics or one of the subjects is building a coaching culture and improving performance through timely feedback. And I wanted to kind of dig into that a little bit. What is a coaching coaching culture to you? A coaching culture is one where people are engaging with each other with a goal of improvement. Um, and that's why, you know, when I talk about coaching, I, I say it's the um, process of improving performance and results through timely feedback or continuous feedback. It's not good enough if performance increases, but results don't follow. Uh, if we go back to sports, um, if somebody gets faster, but their performance on the field isn't better, then maybe you worked on the wrong skill. Mm -hmm. But in a coaching culture, there should be a freedom to coach up, down, and sideways. So if, if you were a direct report for me, Nick, well, yeah, I'd be directly responsible for your performance, which also impacts ultimately my results. But I should also feel the freedom to look up the line if I see that somebody could be doing something better or if I see they're doing something great and I want to encourage them to keep doing those things. So it's about having that freedom to understand that we all can speak into each other's uh, work life because we all know that we're rowing in the same direction and we want the same thing. And my feedback to you is going to help you and your feedback to me is going to help me. And if we can put aside egos, then we really can form a strong culture of, of that continuous improvement. Yeah. Yeah. So um, having that culture or having the, the coach understanding uh, what the objectives are around everybody. Uh, and, and it's both in, in sport and, and professionally, correct? Absolutely. Um, you know, when we talk about coaching and, and helping people improve from wherever they are, it's where do they want to go? And then how can I help them get there? What is it, what is it going to take? Where are going to be the skills that they need to work on so that they can achieve that goal. And that goal is going to be set. It should ideally be set um, in conjunction with the person that you're coaching. It shouldn't be your goal for them because they'll never own that as much as a goal that they come up with or that you facilitate together. But then my role is to do whatever I can to help them get from where they are to where they want to go. Um, and that, to, that in large part also depends on my ability to communicate with them. And this is where what I teach persuasion comes in because many coaching conversations are persuasive conversations where I'm having to persuade you to try new things, to learn new things, to adopt new behaviors. And the more I understand how you think and behave, and I understand the psychology to make that happen, the better positioned I think I am to help you achieve those goals.
Yeah, no, that's a great point. How, how do you, and, and I love how this is kind of aligning with both professionally and, and ath- athletics, but um, how do you uh, get the most out of your team? You know, as, as a coach, uh, professionally and personally, you all have goals. Hopefully you're all sitting in the right seat, facing the right direction and, and rowing in the same way. But um, how do you kind of pull as much, much as possible to, to bring that team to going from good to great or great to elite? I think the biggest thing when I was running the corporate university for an insurance company here in town, I think the biggest thing that my team would have probably said is they knew in their heart that I truly wanted what was best for them, that I wanted to understand what their future aspirations were, that I looked to give them uh, assignments that were going to help facilitate whatever it was they needed to work on so that they could achieve those. But I think to a person, they would have said that I know Brian's heart for me is to help me grow in in doing my job right now, because you still got to get that job done, but also working towards whatever that goal is that that I have, and that he's going to do anything he can to help me make that. And I think that when people feel like, hey, I'm getting better at what I'm doing every single day, my job is getting easier because I'm getting better at it, and oh, I can see how I'm taking steps toward uh, that future goal that I have, I think that's where you get highly engaged and, and motivated employees. Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree. You know, when it comes to continuing to motivate them, uh, what is the importance of trust in this coaching relationship? Well, if you don't have trust, then I think that the person you're coaching is probably going to look at it as it's primarily for your benefit. If an employee, um, sees that their boss is only concerned with making the numbers and not really their well-being, they're not going to put in near the effort that they would if they understood that, that their boss really uh, is pulling for them. And so that's, that's where trust has to come in. And, and you don't wait for trust to happen. As the leader, you're supposed to be the person who is setting the standard for trust. And, and one of the things that I did early on with the team that I was leading, I gave them a copy of my thoughts on leadership, but also a copy of a personal mission statement that I had written a long time ago after reading Covey's book, The Seven Habits. And mm-hmm. I laid out who I was trying to become, um, you know, as, a, as an individual, as an employee, my faith, my um, personal well-being. And I gave it to them and I said, you can hold me accountable to this. If I am not living up to this, this is the ideal that I'm moving toward. And if I'm not living up to it, call me out on it. And I think that set the standard like, wow, this guy is being pretty transparent, that they started to feel they could be transparent with me. And so I think trust, trust is the foundation. Without it, um, it doesn't matter how much somebody likes you if they don't trust you. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's an interesting point, you know, uh, kind of bringing it back to sports. Uh, I had a coach in college where we all had to write down our goals and the goal was always to win nationals. But uh, then we had individual goals and if it, it had to align with what the, what the, court, what the, uh, the team goals were. Mm-hmm. And um, as the coach was trying to find ways to, to create efficiencies and, and make us healthier and, and eat the right stuff and uh, recovery, et cetera, he actually told us to, and challenged us to say, if you don't think something's right and that, that I'm not um, finding ways to improve um, our goal to hit nationals, call me out on it. He's like, because I want to improve as an, as a, as a coach and I might not know everything. So if you know something and I don't know, uh, please let me know. So it's, uh, it, but it's because we trusted him, we were able to, to, to go through that process. So, um, you know, 
to what's the opposite of that? So tr- the opposite of trust is, is fear. Uh, so how could fear or distrust derail a program uh, of, of coaching in that relationship? Well, I think if, if somebody comes to you, if they're stepping into this, what they believe is trust and you shut them down, uh, they're not going to want to come back. I mean, nobody's going to want to experience that fear of, you know, potential retribution, anger, whatever it is that, that may come from that. Um, I had an employee who, uh, unbeknownst to me, I had done something that upset her. And this was pretty early on in my having taken over the corporate university. And she did this in a, in a really polite way, but she came around the corner and she goes, I have a bone to pick with you. And I'm like, really? And she, she said, you just gave away. And she talked about something that she had worked on. And, and in my naivety, I, I had made an agreement with another leader in the company about something. And, and I really should have gone back to her first. And, and we had a conversation about it. But the way I handled that, let her know that, hey, I can actually come and tell him if I'm not happy about something and it's going to work out because I actually took time to listen. So I had to practice what I was, what I was preaching about trust. And if I had done something to invoke fear, then I wouldn't have had the trust and all of the other efforts that were going to come with that, the coaching and everything else was just not going to take hold the same way that it would as if people, you know, stepped into it and experienced trust and not fear. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of have to practice what you preach. If you be truly believe in what you have and you you stepped out and, and she gave you that opportunity to, uh, to be vulnerable or say, Hey, you know what? I shouldn't have done that. And you did the complete opposite. Uh, you know, that would have, uh, minimized her trust in you and she would probably not have come back to you to um, you know or, or future future times um, so and yeah, I can say that even today we're still I mean I left my company a year and a half ago and we're still close friends and, and I've always said if I was gonna if I was in a position where I was gonna start bringing in employees she'd be the first person I'd hire because I just her work ethic was off the charts but her her uh, willingness to come and say you know, I, we can do this better, um, is, is helpful. Too many people hold back on that, but she was awesome. It's awesome. Very cool. Uh, so I asked two questions, um, to close it out to all of my guests. And the first question is, uh, what book or person has influenced you the most in the past year? Well, I would say the, the, I'll go with a person and I would say it's Robert Cialdini. Um, I've known Robert Cialdini now for it's closing in on 20 years when we first had contact. But I, you know, all of the work that he's done, I mean, it's, it's central to what I do. So when I am having conversations like this, so much of what I'm sharing uh, from within has come from the things that I learned from him about how to ethically influence people. And I wouldn't I mean, meeting him just, it changed the whole course of my career and, and in a sense, my life, because what I do not only impacts people in the office, it impacts people at, at home, because as we talked about earlier, we're having persuasive conversations all the time. And so uh, to this day, he is still uh, the person I think that has the most influence on me um, because of what my thinking is now and how I approach people. Yeah, that's cool. I've, I've read a couple of his books uh, per your recommendation and, and uh, you know, uh, he's, he's a great, great author and, and look forward to learning more and, and reading your, your books as well. But, you know, the last question that I have is if you could leave a note 
to all the customer service or customer experience professionals, what would it say? Like the people you serve. I think that the more people focus on, I, I teach about this principle of liking, and it's, it's a no-brainer to say that it's easier for us to say yes to people that we know and like. We all get that. But what people make the mistake of doing is working so hard to try to get people to like them when they should really work hard at coming to like other people. And that's not always easy. Um, but when somebody is really focused on, on coming to like that other person, when a customer service professional's mindset is, I like the customers that I serve, even the ones that can be difficult to start, I think they will be amazed at the difference that it will start making because of when those other people start to realize, wow, this person really seems to like me. They seem to care about the situation, care about what my needs are. That's what really starts changing things. It's when people feel like this customer service rep that I'm talking to in the store or on the other end of the line just doesn't really care. That's what makes things so much worse. So I would say really start to try to develop the mindset that says, I like the people that I serve through my, my role as a customer uh, experience or a customer service professional. That's some great advice. I appreciate that. Um, you know, how do people get a hold of you? If our listeners say, hey, uh, Brian was great and I want to connect with him, how do people um, can do that online? Um, the two easiest ways would be LinkedIn. So uh, I'm, I'm all over LinkedIn, as you know, Nick, posting stuff all the time. Uh, and I th- try to put the social back in social media. So if a listener reaches out to connect with me and you don't put in a reason like, hey, I heard you on press one for Nick, expect that I will send a, a note back to you and say, thanks for reaching out to connect. How did you find me? I like to understand why people are reaching out. And that also then facilitates conversation. Now, if somebody does put in a note like, hey, I heard you on Nick's podcast, I'm going to still respond to that personally. So we'll have an opportunity for some interaction. The other place would be my website, which is influencepeople.biz. If people go out there, you can see uh, videos that I've posted, intros to the LinkedIn learning courses. Uh, You'll have links to all the podcasts that I've been a guest on. So there's a tremendous amount of information out there for people who want to go a little bit deeper and understand more about the psychology of persuasion. That's great. I, I appreciate your time and I'm glad I was able to uh, persuade you to, to join us on the podcast and uh, look forward to uh, maybe potentially future podcasts in the coming years. But uh, thanks again, Brian. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends and share it on LinkedIn and Twitter. I'm Nick Limsdahl, and until next time, focus on the customer. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show, and visit cxofm.org for more resources.